0: Welcome to the Women in North American Aquaculture podcast, where we talk to influential women about their experiences in research, entrepreneurship, innovation, and mentorship in the aquaculture industry. My name is Miriam Farag, and I'm the new editor of Aquaculture North America. I'm so excited to be hosting my first episode of this podcast, which Jean has done an amazing job with. I have some big shoes to fill for this podcast after Jean. My transition to the aquaculture industry has been quite interesting, and one of the first steps I took to get my feet wet was to listen to this podcast. This is why I'm so excited to actually have some of these conversations I've been listening to. They say go big or go home, and so for my first episode, I decided to go big. Our guest this episode is Sylvia Wolf, President and CEO of Aqua Bounty Technologies. Wolf has a reputation as a proven leader and accomplished executive, driving both growth and improved performance. Her diverse career encompasses executive-level positions in general management, sales, and marketing in a variety of industries. I want to go straight into the interview, so I'd like to thank our program sponsor, Merck Animal Health. Together, we can ensure welfare and sustainability for aquatic species. Now, please enjoy the Women in North American Aquaculture podcast with Sylvia Wolf. Sylvia, thank you so much for joining me today on this episode, especially that I know you're a very busy lady and you carved out some time for us. Uh, thank you very much. And uh what I want to do is ask you what drew you to a career in the aquaculture industry.
1: Certainly. Well, thank you very much for inviting me today. I'm looking forward to the conversation. I actually joined the aquaculture industry about three and a half years ago when I joined Aqua Bounty. But prior to that, I was with a company called US Foods, which is a, the second largest food service distributor in the country. And my role was to run meat, seafood, and produce, which was my first introduction to the seafood industry. Prior to that, I'd always been in poultry, beef, and pork. But um, with U.S. Foods, I really had an opportunity to learn a lot more about what was going on in the aquaculture industry. We were very focused on sustainability, um, working with what was then GAA and BAP to make sure that our suppliers were BAP certified, um, we were going through that process all over the globe, and it was fascinating to me to see how aquaculture was growing and the role that it was playing um, in terms of bringing a really healthy protein to consumers. And when I had the chance to join Aqua Bounty, which is really about bringing our genetically engineered salmon to market in a land-based uh, RAS facility, it was the the culmination of innovation with a purpose, and my passion around sustainability. So that's how I got involved in the aquaculture industry.
0: So it's safe to say that you transitioned from the food industry to the aquaculture industry about three years ago. That's right. How did you find it? Well, actually, um, the board of Aquabourney had made the decision
1: to look for um, a commercially oriented CEO, I was at the point in my career with U.S. Foods where I was ready to do something different. I had been there um, through their transition, going public, et cetera. And so it really was just the perfect timing. I was contacted by a recruiter about this opportunity. And as I said, I was very familiar with the aquaculture industry. Um, And I really believe that innovation is what is going to help us solve a lot of the challenges that we face you know, as a society and making sure that my next role really would have an impact on the planet.
0: And so it was the perfect opportunity for me. And what were some of the challenges that you have faced during this transition?
1: Aquahony has been around for, you know, 25 years Um, and the, the genetic engineering actually took place at Memorial University almost 30 years ago. But we went through a 20 plus year regulatory approval process um we were approved by the fda in 2015 and helped canada in 2016 and then ran into what i consider to be political challenges which stopped us from moving into the commercial aspect of the business and actually raising our salmon so the biggest challenge was overcoming that political resistance which typically comes from the fishing industry which in my mind um is a little bit misguided because we need more seafood and we need it to come from lots of different methodologies, traditional farming, rAS farms and wild caught. Um, But once we were able to overcome those political challenges, it was really getting our farm in Indiana and the farm in Canada
0: ready to produce
1: fish. Um, And so it was finding the right people, staffing the farms, completing the retrofits and the build outs uh, and we began farming in
0: 2019. That's great. And you mentioned that uh, there was a lot of overlap or like you were already familiar with the aquaculture industry uh, before transitioning. So what were the, some of the differences that you seen after you transitioned?
1: You know, I went from being a buyer of seafood produced, you know, using aquaculture as the methodology, as the farming methodology, to one that was raising fish. And using science and data to um, build a business. And so it was much more like what I was used to when I, I worked for Tyson, for example, where you know we raised um, poultry, beef, and pork. So it was it was moving back into a production and operating environment as opposed to a category management and procurement environment. But you know, it's interesting because fish are completely dependent on the environment that you raise them in which is different than terrestrials, right you've got to make sure that there's oxygen in the water you've got to make sure that that water quality is there so that they're healthy and productive so that was the big difference that i saw versus what i'd done previously um and i think that you know we see the continued growth of aquaculture globally and i think that that's going to be an important way to address some of the food security issues that we're facing um you know, globally,
0: looking at the different jobs you've had, um, I saw a recurring theme of leadership, where you held the roles of executive member, director, president, vice president, and much more. Um, it's also quite interesting for me because uh, it's listed on LinkedIn that your first uh, job or position was director of business ventures in 1986. So I was wondering, like, what helped you advance these leadership positions or more senior roles early on? i think it's a
1: combination of curiosity and willingness to learn and so i always put myself in a position where i was going to be stretched and learn something new and and allow my curiosity to um, contribute to building a business and then the other part of it i believe is i've always had excellent mentors um people that really wanted to invest in my growth and development and so they, were, they allowed me, in fact, to step into stretch roles and learn new things, but supported me in that learning journey. Um, so I'd say it's a combination of, you know, I love to build things, I'm innately curious, and then finding and, and being the recipient of good mentorship.
0: That's great. A common challenge in the aquaculture industry is having dispelling environmental groups that are against fish farming in general. As a board and executive committee member of the National Fisheries Institute, can you give us a little introduction of what the organization's mission is?
1: Certainly. The National Fisheries Institute is really about promoting um, the fishing industry, primarily fisheries, wild caught, but also aquaculture, and making sure that the story is told and that the the misinformation is um, addressed and also continuing to improve that industry and working on things like product quality and um, holding ourselves accountable for good labor practice, good environmental practice, et cetera. And so that's really what the National Fisheries Institute is all about.
0: And from your experience, what effective ways or methods have you found in creating that public education to what the organization does?
1: The first approach is always to seek to understand. There, there's always common ground. And what I found is when there are differences, the first thing we need to do is come together and, and identify where, where there's common ground. Um, so environmental groups, for example, or human rights groups, for example, they care about you know, people that are on those vessels, they care about the impact on the environment. And so do personally, so does AquaBounty, so does the fishing industry at large. There's always gonna be bad actors, but the majority of those people recognize that their livelihoods come from managing, you know, protecting people and protecting the planet. And so it's really identifying those, those areas where you have something in common or something that you mutually care about, and then determining, okay, where are the questions or what are the concerns? And having a conversation around that, because the industry has evolved and they know that they need to do things well. So understanding those concerns and how to address them, um, I think is the best way, is the best path forward.
0: And what, where do you think we're at in terms of uh, educating people about this?
1: So I can use AquaBounty as an example. You know, there's, a, there's fairly vocal opponents on it that are anti-GMO, but we've engaged with environmental NGOs um, because we recognize that you know, we need to take the pressure off the oceans. We're seeing climate have a tr- tremendous impact on the safety and productivity and health of wild fish. And so, what we've done is really think about how how what we do can, in fact, um, be better for consumers. And so, as we've understood the concerns and we've pushed back on the misinformation of anti-GMO groups um genetic engineering really does allow us to solve some of the challenges that we're facing you know our fish grow faster that means that we are able to produce more of the healthy protein using less of a scarce resource or and our fish tend to eat less you know they they require 25 percent less um feed so that means another impact on the planet um and we know that food security and scarcity is going to be an issue and so being able to produce more with less really is important to consumers and we already know that the fish is safe it went through 25 years of testing so there's no. issue around safety for humans, and we, we know that the concern was about escape well we've addressed that in the way that we design our facilities to make sure that you know we've got six levels of containment and our fish are actually sterile females. So we believe that when we tell that story and then we help consumers understand the benefits of why we do what we do, we're seeing a tremendous shift in terms of receptivity to GMOs.
0: Right now, I just want to get to know you a little bit more. So what does your day-to-day as a president and CEO look like? Like, what do you do at Aqua Bounty?
1: We're a small, early-stage company. And so we all wear lots of different hats right now i'm focused on making sure that we continue to have the the financial resources necessary to grow the company and that means the we're pursuing a bond financing for our farm in ohio and so there's a lot of work that goes into that and making sure that those that are purchasing the bonds understand um who we are what we do and why it's a good investment the same can be said of the way that you know i'm have to raise equity um, to continue to fund our operations. I mean, you know the other is just operationally making sure that we're on track in terms of the way that we run our farms, how we think about and build relationships with customers. I'm involved in a lot of um, customer discussions and dialogues. Um, and then really, the most important aspect of my job is really thinking about talent. How do we recruit, retain, and develop the talent that we're gonna need today? and tomorrow. And I'm really passionate about um, making sure that we create an environment where everybody brings their whole self to work and that we're developing them down to their maximum potential.
0: So have you been to the farm in Ohio?
1: Well, right now it's a site. It, there's no, we haven't started, uh, we've started the underground work with the piping and yes, I've been there several times. Nice. And uh, have you been to other farms as well? Well, I spent quite a bit of time at our farm in Indiana, and I've been to our farm in Canada several times as well. And then I visited farms in Europe, um, other RAS farms in Europe, just to get a perspective of how others think about um, farm operations, water quality. I think there's a lot that we can share with one another because it's a a developing part of the
0: aquaculture industry. That's very interesting. I was just trying to see how hands-on you can get as a CEO.
1: I'm surrounded by great people. I have a wonderful team. And I tend to be hands-on when um, my experience can play a role or when they need help. And so I, I want to make sure that they're, they have the freedom to do what they're good at doing, but that I'm there to, to help and bring the benefit of my experience.
0: For sure. And you were talking earlier about recruitment and mentorship in terms of like trying to find talent and stuff like that. Uh did you have any mentors yourself as you started out in the industry?
1: Yes. Um in my role at US Foods, I was able to interact with a number of the large um large and small um individuals in the seafood industry. And I've tapped into them
0: to basically,
1: you know, learn more about how they think, how they operate, so that I can take that best practice and build it into our business.
0: Um do you still have mentors in your current role? right now i do but they tend to be
1: more along the lines of how do you um a ceo's role is very different in that you know the buck stops at your desk so you're the final decision maker and you have a board of directors that you report to and so how do you build the appropriate board and relationships with those board members and so my mentors now are those that have been in a ceo role for some time and Actually, work with their boards of directors very closely.
0: And how about mentees?
1: I do that as well. I have a number of um, actually women and men, but uh, primarily women because I think that it's important for women to see other women in leadership roles and help them understand how to think about what they might challenge themselves to do. Uh, Our paths tend to be different, our challenges are slightly different. And so um, I've got two mentees that I'm very close to that I meet with on a weekly basis to talk through the challenges that they've occurred or, you know, lots of times we just have a conversation about what are they thinking about in terms of career development
0: and how might they go about that. That's very interesting. And and I think that's something we always need in every industry is having female mentors. Um, So like younger women can see that they have different career paths that they can join what excites you about your future in the aquaculture industry?
1: Yeah, I, again, I think aquaculture is going to play an increasingly important role in um, meeting the need for food security. And when I think about the way that aqua bounty farms, you know, we can put farms anywhere. I mean, we can put farms close to consumption where there's quality and quantity of water. And so for me, it is the opportunity to grow a global business, to think about other species, And I think the other is we are a science-driven organization, and I think that's where um, innovation is going to come from, is the science. How do we become better at what we do? How do we create a better environment for the fish? You know, um, making sure that the interaction between biofiltration and water quality and feed and fish, um, we're learning more about that all the time. I think breeding and genetics are going to be increasingly important because you want to breed. Um, species that can um, thrive in certain environments, even in nut tons, you know, the, the warming of the ocean, um, sea life, different diseases. You know, I think biotechnology can be used um, very judiciously and specifically to solve some of those challenges. So that's what excites me about aquaculture. I just think that there's no limit to the impact that aquaculture can have on providing people with a healthy protein and in fact continuing to improve how we affect the planet.
0: Is there something you would like to achieve on a personal level?
1: On a personal level, I want to make sure that um, Aquabounty has the talent necessary to continue to achieve its potential. And that's why I say that to me, talent is the fund. it's the foundational element of any successful business. If you don't have great people and you're not able to retain them, you're not going to be able to achieve the potential of that business. And so that's where I want to make sure that we're investing a lot of time. You know, at Bounty, one of the um, tools or practices that we put into place is, is lean and continuous improvement, because what that allows us to do is those closest to the work are the ones that are looking at how to make what they do better. And it allows them to contribute in ways that typical hierarchical structures, you know, with top down, don't allow. And so creating and making sure that that is embedded in how we operate. Um, You know, we're a very purpose driven organization. We want to feed the planet in a safe, secure, and sustainable way by using technology to change aquaculture. And so people come to Aquabounty and that's what they're excited about. That's what brings them to work. That's what attracts the right talent. And that's what allows us to keep it. And then my role is to make sure that those people who join us achieve their full potential.
0: We're starting to see more women CEOs and in many industries. However, do you still find challenges in your role with regard to being a female working in a male-dominated field?
1: I've spent my entire career in male-dominated industries. Um, You know, if you think about beef, pork, poultry, it doesn't get more male dominated than that. Um, Distribution tends to be um, very male dominated because it's a lot of, you know, trucks and boxes and warehouses. So I've spent my whole career there and I've never found it, not that I didn't have challenges, you know, we do, but I've been able to overcome those challenges. And I would just, I think that there's a, Um, a leveling of the playing field, because at the end of the day, businesses need great talent, and that includes women, to be successful. And I think the smart ones are going to figure out how to attract women, how to retain women, and how to develop women, and understand the different challenges that women face, particularly in male-dominated industries like aquaculture. Um, So I think it's going to evolve over time, and, and actually think probably
0: sooner rather than later. So what would you have liked to see uh, as you started out as a young female uh, in your career? Like what kind of support systems did you think you needed at the time?
1: You know, when I started my career, things like workforce groups, um, whether it's gender or race or military service, they really weren't part of business when I began my career, I think that those are important because it provides a safe space for like people to have a conversation. Um, Because we all come from different backgrounds, you know if, if you're a different race or a different ethnicity, your experience is going to be different than mine, you know my experience as a female is different than a male. And what what creates richness in a business environment is bringing all of those together, but understanding that those differences. Need to be appreciated, um, and we need to be able to talk about it. Um, and so, I think that's the difference that I see: is there's much more conversation going on around um, those differences and why they matter and why they are uh, why they contribute positively to a business. You know, diversity. is is about race, ethnicity, gender, those I call the visible diversity, but it's also diversity of thought, diversity of communication style, diversity of experience. And that that sometimes follows that more visible diversity. And I think that we need to make sure that we're engaging all of that and we come together in a way where um, we can have those collective conversations.
0: For sure. Um, I think, as you were saying, visibility is truly the key. From your experience at the C-suite level, what do you see in terms of the gender balance of men and women in the aquaculture industry?
1: I think we're seeing more women in leadership roles. Um, I'll highlight one for you. Um, Scredding, for example. I was invited to speak on leadership at their North American um, leadership conference. And so there's a real appreciation for being to be able to attract um, women And then make sure that they are in a position to be successful and thrive. And so I'll use Scritting as an example, but there are many, many others. And I and I see more and more women um, achieving success in terms of career success and becoming CEOs. And I think that um, you know we all bring something different to the businesses where we operate. And you have to think about what does the business need at any given point in time.
0: Mm -hmm. And what kind of policies does Equibani? have in place in terms of diversity and inclusion?
1: Well, we have all the standard policies. You know, I mean, obviously we want a a safe, secure, open environment where people can bring their entire self to work. But I think it's really about appreciating the differences and also understanding that often those differences can create unintended conflict. uh, And so we work really hard on helping the teams understand their teammates um so that those unintended conflicts are minimized and a lot of times it just is a misunderstanding and so we tend to if we have issues to address those quickly Um, we don't tolerate um you know any kind of behavior or speech that um doesn't appreciate the other individual i don't care what you know whether or not they're from a diverse part of the workforce, um, we just don't tolerate that. And quite frankly, I think that um, setting that expectation also allows us to attract the right kind of talent.
0: And what do you think are the challenges to bridging the gap?
1: Oftentimes it's understanding. It's teaching people how to actively listen and appreciate, how to take the time, how to understand their own blind spots or um, biases, because a lot of times, you know, we always talk about unconscious bias. So it's really understanding what those blind spots are, so where that unconscious or being able to make that bias a little more conscious so that you can understand where it comes from. Um, and quite frankly, uh, a mentor of mine used the term always presume positive intent. Don't make the assumption that somebody's trying to hurt you or, um, undermine you, presume positive intent until you can get underneath it and have the conversation. And so that's what we're really encouraging our teams to do.
0: And what advice would you give to women who are looking to advance more senior roles or leadership positions?
1: I'd say be curious. I'd say take or push for and take stretch assignments. Don't think you need to know everything when you move into a new role. Women tend to wanna be able to check every box before they take the next role no take it move into it make sure that you've got um those around you that can help you succeed because there's plenty of people that you can tap into if you just you know widen the lens if you if you will and so i'd say take those stretch assignments don't necessarily feel that you need to stay in the um, area that you were trained in so for example i have a finance degree but i wanted to be in operation so i asked to run a plant um, because i knew i wanted some type of a general management role. Well, I didn't know anything about running a plant and it was a union plant. And so I made sure that I, I had people I could reach out to and ask questions, but I wasn't afraid to take it on. And if I had one piece of advice for women, I'd say, take those stretch assignments and, and thrive in them. That's,
0: that's great. That's very true. And before we end our episode, I have some last thoughts with you. What is the best advice you ever received? Don't limit
1: yourself. Um, be curious. And as I said previously, presume positive intent. You know, I think those are the aspects that I've tried to apply to my career and it served me very well. And, you know, I'm excited to be in the position that I am in building Aqua Bounty. And so those are the things that I would pass on to anyone else.
0: What advice would you give to your younger self?
1: I would say um, do things sooner rather than later. Again, I think I didn't push myself to take all the stretch assignments that were out in front of me and I didn't actively go after them as I could have. So you yeah. know, I got better at that later, you know, in, in my mid-career. So I'd say take on those stretches. I would have taken on those stretch assignments sooner. Mm-hmm.
0: And last but not least, what is your favorite fish farmer joke? Fish farmer joke. I don't, you know, honestly, I'm not good at jokes and I don't really <laughs> have one. The aquaculture industry is like the the one industry I worked in that has a lot of puns and jokes. Since I started, I've heard a lot of good ones. Oh, I'm sure. Well, you'll have to share those with me because none come to mind. There you go. Something to think about for the future. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Sylvia. It's it's really an honor to talk to you and have this conversation. And I think uh, like reflecting on our conversation today it's it's just very inspiring to talk to you and like for i'm sure like every young lady or woman who's gonna listen to this conversation is gonna be inspired we all have these self-doubts and these insecurities that tend to bring us back when we really have so much potential right i hope this inspires someone to take the step forward i do too thank you very much for inviting me to be part of the podcast Thank you for joining me on my first episode. Listening back, I sounded very nervous. But I mean, come on, I was interviewing Sylvia Wolf. Our show notes with links, photos, and more extras can be found on our website, AquacultureNorthAmerica.com women. The Women in North American Aquaculture Summit, or WINAS, will take place on September 8th. We have a great schedule planned for the day. Some of our previous guests in the podcast will be speakers too, such as Brianna Warner and Imani Black. So register for free now on our website and stay up to date as we announce more speakers soon. If you want to support this podcast, please share this with everyone in your network. And please join us in thanking our program sponsor, Merck Animal Health. Together, we can ensure welfare and sustainability for aquatic species. Thank you for listening, everyone.